before we, um, before we look at these verses that Jason read for us in uh, Titus chapter 3, I'm going to start with a confession. I am not the world's most patient person, okay? You might find that hard to believe, seeing me standing here, but I am not the world's most patient person. A couple of weeks ago, Eleanor was doing um, a craft fair, and it was on a Spanish arch. So if you know Spanish arch, like trying to drive in there, not easy. And we drove in, and it was a bit wet, and we were trying to get set up really quickly, and I had other places that I really wanted to be that weren't there. And then somebody came and blocked our car in. And then, do you know those people, right, when they open their mouth, and you go, just go, go away. One of those people, right. <laughs> so was I perfectly courteous to that person the whole time that I was still there, wanting to be somewhere else, trying to get set? Probably not, okay. In fact, cert almost certainly not. Probably wasn't openly rude to him. Probably wasn't, you know, really obnoxious to him. But as I was reading these verses over the last couple of weeks, and we go to... Verse 2, and Paul says, Show perfect courtesy toward all people. What did I keep thinking about? Probably how <laughs> I wasn't perfectly courteous to this, to this man. So how often, how often do we do that? How often do we find people who we kind of go, I'm not going to treat, I don't treat with that perfect courtesy. Or, how often, as Paul writes then in verse 1, be submissive to rulers and authorities? Do we go, that 50 kilometer an hour speed limit down there, well, 55 is all right. Or, that, that 200 euros, that doesn't, go, that doesn't need to go on the tax return. I can hold on to that one. Or, you know, I'm going to play up for my teacher today, because... You know, I don't really want to be in school today, so I'm not going to do what they're asking me to do. But here, in these verses, verses 1 and 2 of Titus chapter 3, Paul is calling us to live like we don't always live, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. And he's calling us to live like that for a very good reason, as we'll come to see as we look at verses 3 to 7. But here, here as well, Paul is kind of bringing his, his message of how to live from the church to the home and now to, as we interact with the wider world as Christians. So before we dive into these verses in a bit more detail, let's just ask God to help us to understand and help us to um, reflect on these verses and how they apply to our own lives as well. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that we can, uh, we can be here this morning. I thank you that we've got your word that we can open up before us. And I thank you that you're going to speak to us through it. Lord, um, I need to hear what you've got to say to me through these verses. And Lord, I just pray that you would help me uh, now just to be faithful and truthful um, as I communicate what you've laid on my heart. And Lord, I just pray that each of us would um, 
find ways in which you're speaking to us this morning. Lord, I pray that we'd have open hearts, open minds, open ears to hear from you, to be changed by you or encouraged by you through what we hear from your word this morning, Lord. Amen. So Paul writes to Titus, and if you've got your Bible there, turn to Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, and he says, remind, remind them. So as he writes to Titus here, and he's getting Titus to talk to the, the church in Crete, he says, remind them. This is something that the church should already know, as Paul goes on to say, remind them to be. So they should already know. They should already know to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, and to, to show this perfect courtesy toward all people. This is, this is something that Paul is expecting, that as Titus tells them, it's a reminder. It's something that they should already know. And as, we see, as we'll see when we come to verse 3, and this is a response to, um, to what God has done for them in sending Jesus into the world, this is a response that comes out of love for God, out of a response for what, for, to what God has done for them. And so Paul is reminding them to be on their guard, to follow what God has done for them, respond to what God has done for them. In chapter 1, we see Paul warning about false teaching. And a lot of the false teaching, it seems, is coming from um, kind of Jewish tradition. But Israel, we see in the Old Testament, Israel kept forgetting and fell away. And so part of reminding, part of remembering, is part of the shepherding that we've seen coming through in Titus. Uh, and, and that idea of shepherding the church, reminding them, so that they don't fall away, that they're on their guard, and they don't fall away. So it's a reminder to the church to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, and so on, and so on. And this idea that God has put the rulers and authorities, the earthly rulers and authorities there, for the church to be submissive and obedient to is something that Paul uh, picks up on elsewhere. He talks about it in Romans as well, doesn't he? And it, so this idea then that we're to respond to the rulers and authorities that God has put there uh, ahead, of, ahead of us in an earthly sense is one that um, Paul is echoing from elsewhere in his writing as well. But of course, there's going to be a tension. There are times when there's going to be a clash here. We're lucky in Ireland, lucky, fortunate uh, in Ireland, that the law generally does not go against God's law. There are not, you know, when we can meet here together. We can gather on a Sunday freely. We can open up Bibles freely. We can talk to people about our faith freely. Yes, maybe there are laws that we don't like, that are maybe... Uh, more liberal than we would like, more liberal than we think the Bible, uh, the Bible is expecting and, and setting an example for. But there's very little, I would say, that goes directly against God's word, if anything. But there are places where rulers and authorities clash with God's law. 
And of course, then the ultimate authority rests with God. And so we see, of course, people uh, meeting in places where they're not, not by law supposed to meet to worship God. We see people smuggling the Bible into places so that people can read the Bible. And again, we are fortunate that we don't have that right here, right now. But again, God's law is the ultimate authority. And then there's this idea of being submissive to the rulers and authorities, the government, the teachers, whoever it is that's in, in rule or authority over us day by day. But this idea then of being submissive and obedient goes against what the false teachers that Paul has already condemned are like. They're insubordinate, Paul says. And so we're, we, as we live like this, are living in a different way to the way that those false teachers that Paul has warned against earlier in this letter to Titus uh, live like. And Paul calls us to be ready, to be ready to show this perfect courtesy, this gentleness, this meekness, the character of Jesus, in fact, he's calling us to live like. These words could be applied to, to how Jesus lived, couldn't they? Being gentle and showing perfect courtesy to all people. Yeah, Jesus got angry, and rightly angry. But this is how we see Jesus portrayed in the Bible, isn't it? And so, it's a, it's a call to live as Jesus lived. And so, Jesus' life, the way that he acted on earth the things that he did pointed to the message that he had, pointed to the good news of the gospel, pointed to him and pointed people to worship him and to follow him. And so as Christians, Paul is calling us to respond by living lives where our behavior, our lives, commend that same thing, the good news of Jesus, following Jesus, so that people are drawn to that same message that we have been drawn to ourselves. And one of the things that's interesting as well to me is that here, um, you know, this is, this is Paul telling Titus to remind the church to be like this. But he's already talked about the elders, the overseers, and now he's applying the same characteristics to the whole church. So just as, um, just as he's called the elders to be like this and to follow Jesus in living in these kinds of ways, now he's calling the whole church to follow. Elsewhere, um, we see you know, Paul writing to Timothy and saying that this is, these are the characteristics of a servant of God living like this as well. And so it's part of our service, part of our response to God to live like this. So that's, what, that's the command that Paul gives to Titus to relay to the church, remind them to be submissive, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy to all people. And then Paul dives into his reason for giving it. There's that linking word there, for, because. Showing this, showing why we should live like this. And as he, as he goes into verses 3 to 7, 
as Jason already said, this is an amazing kind of summary of the gospel, amazing summary of the work that Jesus did for us and that God has done in sending Jesus into the world in these few verses. I'm just going to read them again as we, as we go into them. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The good news of the gospel in just a couple of sentences. And it's an amazing summary. And so Paul contrasts where, where we have come from. And he, he lumps himself in here as well. Listen to what he says again. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. So he's contrasting how he used to live, we, ourselves, how Titus used to live, how I lived before I heard the gospel and responded to it, how any Christian was before they heard and responded to the good news. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In, that, in that, those words, as he kind of just paints this picture of a depraved person who is just so resenting and hostile, Paul paints the need for saving, the need for rescue. Again, he's contrasting here being led astray, the false teaching that he's warned against. But he also then says that we are or we're slaves to various passions and pleasures. Well, they can be good things, those passions and pleasures, in and of themselves. They can be, I don't know, maybe you're passionate about sport. Maybe that was the thing that you know, ruled your life before you became a Christian, keeping yourself fit and healthy. But it's not going to save you in the long term. There are good things that you can be passionate and find pleasure in, but they're not enough. And they lead to this envy and malice and hostility, hated by others and hating one another, Paul says. Maybe you recognize some of how your own mind works in some of those verses. Maybe you recognize things that God has brought you away from and is working through in your own heart in some of those things. And then Paul says in verse 4, but, but. And it's one of those amazing but God moments that we get so often in the Bible. This spiraling down of 
disobedience and slavery and hostility. And then when we're right at the bottom, but, and God reaches in. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, what does he do? He saved us. So the source of any rescue here, the source of being pulled away from that disobedience and slavery is God and God's loving kindness that appears in Jesus. He saved us when the kindness and love and mercy and goodness of God appears in Jesus. He saved us. How? Not by something that I did. Not by something that I did. Not, there is nothing here that I can do. I am right at the bottom of this curve. Right at the bottom. And I need God to reach in and save me from that and rescue me and bring me back out of it. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. We can do all the good things that we want to do. But it doesn't rescue us. We need the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. He saved us. He showed kindness to the vengeful and the wicked. He showed love to the hateful. He showed mercy to the helpless and grace to the undeserving and the guilty. As we read in Psalm 67, it is gracious and blesses us and his saving power is made known among the nations. And our salvation, our, our rescue from all of those things that Paul talks about is grounded on that mercy and grace and saving power that God reveals in Jesus. So he saved us, not because of works done by us, in verse 5, not, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this picture of rebirth and renewal and washing. And so as, uh, as Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, verse 5, to be born of water and the Spirit. Again, this idea of new birth and new creation as we are saved by God. And this idea of washing appears so often in the Bible, again, as a sign, an external sign of an inward spiritual cleansing and cleaning. And so here we see, as we are saved according to the mercy of God by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And God pours out the Holy Spirit onto us. And I love, I love what he says here, what Paul says here. Whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so we see God 
pouring out the Holy Spirit through Jesus. We see the whole Trinity at work here in the saving and the regeneration and the renewal. And there's no holding back. This isn't just God pouring a little bit of the Holy Spirit out. It's pouring richly the Holy Spirit out, as Paul says. It's like we'll sing in a little bit, um, here is love vast as the ocean. And one of the lines in that talks about this in a slightly different way. It says, vast as the flood. What do you need to hold a flood back? You need massive, massive floodgates. Uh, if you go to London, you can see like the Thames Barrier, and it's a huge bit of engineering across it. If you go to Tokyo, you can see huge, huge metal walls to hold back tsunami. There is no holding this back when you are saved by God. There is nothing that can be built to stop this pouring flood of love and kindness and of the Holy Spirit as God richly pours the Holy Spirit out on those he saves through Jesus. We're washed. We find this rebirth and a renewal. And the idea here of the renewal could be just a repetition or it could also mean as we walk along through our life with God, with Jesus, we grow. We become more godly. We become more like Jesus as we mature as Christians, as we bear fruit. And so there's this idea as well of renewal and growth. Think back to Titus chapter 1 and verse, uh, verse 1, where the knowledge of the truth accords with godliness. And so the renewal can also have this idea of growth in it. And then verse 7. As the Holy Spirit is poured out, we are justified by God's grace that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As Paul again writes in Romans, uh, where he's talking about joining in Christ's suffering. He says, if we're children, we're heirs also, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And again, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, there's this idea of the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, before the beginning of time, God had promised this. And here we are, saved, regenerated, renewed by the Holy Spirit, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we might have the hope of eternal life. And this isn't, this isn't some kind of wishful hope. This isn't, a, oh, I wish I was going to get eternal life. This is hope in surety that God, has, God who never lies has promised this eternal life since before time began. And again, as we sing, we'll sing about heaven's peace and perfect justice, kissing a guilty world in love and bringing us into this eternal life.
So just as we finish, I've got three very short points of application. I don't want to dwell too much because I want this text to stand for itself. It's, it's just such an amazing encouragement to me. But first of all, you, don't, you, don't, you have to receive and respond to this saving. Otherwise, you're going to stay in verse 3. You have to receive what God is offering to you in being saved by Jesus. When the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by anything that we did, but we have to accept that Jesus is going to do that saving and that we cannot do it ourselves. If that's the first time you're, you're hearing that, we don't have time to really go deeply into it this morning right now, but please, after the service, I would be more than happy to talk to you. Jason would be more than happy to talk to you. I'm sure Will would be more than happy to talk to you as well. And we can explain what that means in more detail. But you need to hear and accept that Jesus is the one who saves. For those of us then who have accepted, we need to remember, we need to be reminded. And I'm not going to remind you, first of all, to, to be obedient. Because I think, if you're like me, first of all, we must remember that we have been saved not because of anything that we've done. The temptation is always to think, maybe there's just something that I can do that gets me a bit more love from God, gets me saved a little bit more. Is there something that I can do that makes God love me more? Is there something that I can do that just, yeah, lets God come to me more? But God has already poured all of the love that he can out for me in Jesus on the cross. Or maybe we just don't accept all of that love. Maybe there are parts of our lives where we just want to, where we just kind of don't accept that love and we just hold a little bit of it back. I'm just going to read uh, quickly a poem that kind of talks about that. Just listen to the words of the poem and think about where you draw back from that love. And so this is a poem. It was written in the early 1600s by George Herbert. He was a poet and a speaker and a member of the Church of England clergy. And the words are this. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame, my dear, then I will serve. 
You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. We draw back, but all of the love that we need is there. Jesus has borne all the shame and blame before God that we should have had put on us. And then finally, we are to respond out of love to live. So our love for God, for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, we're to respond by living in love. As Jesus called us to in John chapter 13, to love as he has loved. And again, John chapter 15, to love one another. And as we love one another here, to then go out into the world and to live as Paul calls us to here, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people, which of course then we can only do with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you for these verses. Lord, I thank you for, I thank you for those, that incredible few sentences that just is a, is a beautiful summary of the gospel. And Lord, I thank you for that. And I just pray that you will encourage us here this morning with that reminder of where we've come from and what you've done for us. And Lord, I just pray that if anybody is hearing this for the first time or you're calling on their heart, Lord, that they would hear that they need to be saved by Jesus and that they would respond this morning, Lord. And Father, for those of us who have already heard that call and already responded, Lord, I just pray that you would remind us to let your love in. Let your love into the parts of our our hearts and minds where maybe we haven't given it up to you, where we draw back from you, and where we're tempted to think that there is something we can do to earn a bit more of your love, or we can do something to save ourselves. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us out of love for you because of what you've done for us, to love each other here, but also to love those who we meet during the week and to live for the gospel and to live the gospel out for them as well, Lord.